There is a Buddhist expression that I have loved for many years that says you cannot teach starting and to meditate. And that has so many implications to me <laughs> when I think about it. You know, it sounds very simple, you know, teach a starving man to meditate. But, you know, if we, if we limit that to people who are starving in Africa and think, oh, well, I can't learn to meditate. Well, you know, that's, that's simple, okay, they're, they're hungry. They probably have a lot on their minds and they would much rather have food and shelter than figure out what God is or, or go into these spaces. Okay, I get that. But each of us is starving for something. Each of us is longing for something. It may not be food and shelter for the most of us in our culture, but there's something that we desire. And it is the desire itself that keeps us focused in this experience. It keeps us drawn into this experience. And it's the karma that creates the desire that makes us look out here for that thing that we think is going to fulfill us. It may be the chocolate cake, it may be the dream car, it may be a job, it may be the perfect relationship, it may be lots of things. And so what happens then is that our awareness through the karmic energetic patterns pulls us out into this experience to find our fulfillment, our happiness. And we relate to this world through our mind, our thoughts that are also created by karma and through the senses. The senses pull us out. We want pleasure. We want things that taste nice. We want things that smell good. We want things that are beautiful. And we remain engaged in this experience rather than discovering our true self because we are continuously drawn back into this. We are continuously pulled into this place with the false notion that somehow, somewhere here, we're going to find the perfect piece of chocolate cake and we will be happy forever. And although all of us can laugh at that, and all of us can stop in this moment and say, that is absurd, the truth is we're always looking for that one thing that we think is going to make us happy. Every moment is a stream of how can I avoid being unhappy and how can I find happiness? The idea being, like my example of enlightenment, the, the false idea of enlightenment, is that there will come a moment, hopefully, where every single moment is followed by another pleasant moment, and then I'll finally be happy. Well, Tantra says that's never going to happen. You already know that from your experience. Life brings you ups and downs. You are going to have pleasant moments, hopefully pleasant days, months, and years, and there's going to always be something around the corner that is going to be unpleasant. And there is this ride. And so no matter how you get, how happy you get, even when you really kind of get to that place of my life is stable, you know, my relationships are good, my job is good, I feel happy, I feel like I'm on purpose in life, you can't stop other bad things from happening. And so Tantra invites you then to look at stepping out of trying to find your happiness here and to look for something else to make you happy. And it says that the answer to your happiness, as so many teachers in the past have said, is to look within yourself and to discover that your true happiness comes inside somewhere, not even really the physical way that we imagine it, but there's something back here that we're not looking at that is really the source of our happiness.
just as things that are unhappy sort of create an energetic response, things that are happy also create an energetic response. And those sort of reveal uh, the truth that we're really experiencing this life within ourselves. You know, we can go to movies and one person will hate it and one person will love it. One person will cry at the end and the other person will say, that was stupid. You know, we have an individual experience. And honoring that it's our individual experience that makes us happy is one of the first steps. Start looking inward and observing our patterns and reactions. And then learning through tantric techniques the ways to clear those patterns out. And the way to do that is to start expanding your ability to witness, to perceive, and to start changing the way that you identify yourself. If you think of yourself as the body, as the energetic patterns that are moving through you, if I become the desire for cake, if I become the anger at somebody cutting me off in traffic, if I think that's who I am, Tantra says you've missed the point. You are not those individual moments of vibration. You are something else deeper. You are, you are the thing that is witnessing those experiences. And in order to discover your true self, you have to draw yourself back over time for most of us, repeatedly becoming more and more able to witness the things that are moving through our experience. At the very highest level of moving into balancing Shiva and Shakti. It is not about males and females. It is not about anything other than your true nature. The true nature that is described by Tantra is usually referred to as consciousness. In our culture, we would usually call that God or spirit. But they think of it as consciousness. And that takes some of the personality off of it. Now, for those who need the personality, they have ways of working with that, of working with gods and goddesses. But they understand that the gods and goddesses are a movement of that consciousness. They're a way to get to the consciousness, to understand it, because oftentimes, because we are so used to dealing with different individuals and persons, we need some form to make us kind of be able to connect. Because not everybody can just say, oh, wow, God is all light. You know, even if you can understand it, you may not be able to relate to it. It may not sort of draw you in emotionally the way that an image of a nurturing divine being would. And so that's one of the tools that can also happen, is that you work with different gods, goddesses, different ways of sort of inviting and opening up this emotional connection, this devotional state. So at the very highest state then, we have Shiva, and we have Shakti as aspects of consciousness, not as individual beings in the way that we think of them. Now, they do have a god and a goddess representation, but every goddess is really a form of Shakti. Every god is really a form of Shiva. And in that highest place, Shiva plays the role of witness. It is the aspect of consciousness that observes everything that is happening. And Shakti plays the role of unfolding the universe. Everything that you can feel, touch, think, see, taste, anything that you can experience is Shakti, is the feminine principle, which is why Tantra is often referred to as goddess worship. 
You are learning to worship and understand the energy of Shakti as being the power of consciousness which creates all of life. So it's not really about some individual form. It's not about finding some connection with some female partner or some male partner, depending upon where you are in that. It is about getting yourself to the place where you understand that consciousness has this aspect of witnessing, and it has this power that moves through us that gives us the experience of the universe unfolding, and that they were never separate to begin with. That the power of consciousness is contained within the witness, and the witness is contained within the power. They are not separate things. And that's the final level of duality that has to be let go of. The idea that there's some separation between me, the witness, and this energy that is moving through me.